Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning. And as we open our Bibles together, I want you to go to John chapter 21. Last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we walked through John chapter 20 together. And we return to our series, Live Boldly, in this way. We're going to look at Peter and John through two apostles, how he received the account. And the title of the message is Breakfast with Jesus. In John chapter 21, we are able to look at what does Jesus do with failures and misfits. Over the next two weeks, God willing, we're going to look at this breakfast with Jesus as he had breakfast with his guys by the sea. It's a recipe for restoration. We get the eyewitness account of how Jesus reached and he restored his men who had failed so miserably. They were anything but faithful. They were anything but bold. They fell asleep during the prayer meeting. And if you're not part of our prayer meetings on Thursday nights, I want to invite you, join in uh, through the email. You'll see the link to a Zoom prayer meeting. But these guys, they fell asleep. They fled from Jesus. They were not there for Jesus. They were failures. They were misfits. Now, this account, John 21, is after the resurrection. The gathered group is already seen the resurrected Savior two times. How is Jesus going to use these men? How will they get back on mission? It seems when the, the account unfolds that these disciples are in somewhat of a free fall. Between the resurrection and the ascension, they're just kind of lost. They're kind of stuck. It may feel a little how we feel right now. Our schedule is out the window. Uh, most of us are, are in our houses for most of the days. What day of the week is it? You know, all of these things. And we feel like we're in a little bit of a free fall. But as the church, we're still to be on mission. And we're going to have part in blessing our community even this week to shine the light of the gospel. To let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, that we are the church, so let's serve like the church should. And these men, they were just in a free fall. They were in a fog. What are they supposed to do? Where are they supposed to go? They can think back to how Jesus taught them, John 13, and he washed their feet and he loved them and he loved them to the end. In John 14 and 16, he promises the comforter and the helper is going to come and he's going to prepare a place. And, and Thomas had his questions. And in John 15, Jesus described and he foretold, he just said, without me, you can do nothing. And so we have to abide in Christ all the time. And here they are. And they're going, to get, they're going to get a visual aid, a direct lesson on what it is to try to do something without the power of the resurrected Christ. And they fail again. They fall flat on their face. Now, some scholars have suggested that John 21 was written by somebody else or maybe doesn't even belong in the gospel. But there are other books in the New Testament that have an ending and an epilogue. 
This is one of them. John has a reason for these notes that he includes about what happened before Jesus ascended. They're very important. How would Jesus salvage the 12? They were all on the brink of quitting. Maybe you're there now or maybe you've been there where you have thought about quitting. Well, I serve in this way in the church, but I think I'm going to quit. I think I'm going to throw in the towel. Maybe doubts, maybe whatever. These men are all on the verge of quitting. John 21, the final chapter of this gospel, it demonstrates to the reader how Jesus did not throw these guys away. He took the men that he loved through the final stages of their discipleship to bring everything together to completion to the point that they would finally be ready to minister and even most all of them give their lives for Jesus of Nazareth, for Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man when he would ascend and no longer be physically present with them. But he would send his spirit. It's what Paul would later write in Philippians 1.6, that he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God always takes the initiative. And these apostles, these disciples, the 12, they weren't finished with their discipleship process. And this breakfast by the sea is an important aspect to their training. And Jesus was going to finish. He was going to bring them to completion. And this night of failure that ends up in the dawn of the Savior on the shore and breakfast together with Jesus would be so indelible upon their hearts and lives they would never be the same. The truth of Jesus' teaching was blended together with perfect love when he met them on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Just as the angel had told them through the testimony of the women in Matthew 28, 5, 6, and 7. This is what Matthew recorded. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Verse 7 says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And the angel says, see, I have told you. So the women brought that message to the disciples, and we looked last Sunday at the first two appearances of Jesus in the room where they were gathered, and Thomas wasn't there the first time. He was there the second time, and Jesus said to Thomas in that most striking way, come here, Thomas, put your finger in the print of the nails, put your hand in my side. Now believe, stop disbelieving. And so we start from there in John chapter 21, and we look, how does Jesus restore these men? What is the master's recipe for restoration? They're going to have breakfast by the the shore, and probably you've been 
been making a lot of food at home. I don't know if it tastes good or not. I don't know if you're watching the cooking shows and seeing what it's supposed to be like. But the master has a recipe for us. And it's how are we able to see restoration with God and restoration in our relationships. It's important for us. What did Jesus do with these men who failed? How did he reach and restore them? What does this mean for us when we struggle and fail? And then how should we respond towards brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling around us? Those are the questions I want to present to us. We're going to see, we're going to unpack this this morning. In the first three verses we see of John 21 that Jesus searched and he found the doubters. He searched for them and he found them. These men, these disciples, he found these guys who were filled with doubt and even disbelief. John 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Jesus searched for these men. He loved these men. He found these men, his disciples, in the middle of their frustration. And we see this in the first two verses. Things had not turned out the way that they had planned. Their hopes and dreams were still yet unfulfilled. Now it seems like they're on their own. It seems they just don't understand the power and the purpose of the resurrection. What are they supposed to do now? And Peter is frustrated and the other disciples are frustrated. and They can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. What about our future? And what about all the plans that we thought were going to happen with the coming of Messiah? So what they did is they, they followed Peter and they, they went back to their former way of life. And this is where Jesus found them. This is so familiar. They went back to what was familiar to them. This is where they were before they met Jesus of Nazareth. Here's where we see the leadership, the influence that Peter has within the remaining group of Jesus' disciples. John recorded When Jesus first called the disciples back in the first chapter, John chapter 1. I'm just going to turn there. If you have your Bibles, just just turn there so that you can see John 1. And in verse 35, John records the next day. Again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, 
you, now listen to this, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So John recorded, this is the first chapter, and now we're in the last chapter, and he recorded that when Peter met Jesus, he was called Simon. And Jesus had all authority on heaven and earth. He changed his name, and he called him to be a fisher of men. Jesus went to Galilee in the first chapter, and when he called his disciples, he went from where John was baptizing out in the desert. He went then to Galilee and added Philip and Nathaniel to the group. That's in John, verses 43 to 51 of the first chapter. Luke recorded the calling of the disciples in Luke chapter 5. That was a night when they couldn't catch anything. There were two boats, and Jesus called out. He's like, let's go out to the deep. Uh, they go out, and the same thing was said. We, we, we toiled all night. We didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, let's push out. Let's go out into the sea. And he says, go ahead and cast down your nets. They cast down the nets. The nets begin to break. They'll load. They, they just fish everywhere. They go to the shore in Luke chapter 5, and they leave it all. They leave this catch of a lifetime on the shore, and they, they follow Jesus. This is the Sea of Galilee. They're back there again. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. We see that in John chapter 6. Jesus was not finished with these guys yet. There they were, frustrated. There they were, back in a familiar way of life. It, it was what was their former way of life. It was what was familiar to them. And they just went back. Let's go back. And, and they followed Peter's influence in his leadership. Can I ask you, what are you doing with your influence? I'm not asking you if you have influence or not. Whatever age you are, you do have influence. The question is, what are you doing with the influence that God has given to you? If you're a father, if you're a mother, whatever relationship you may be in, what are you doing with your influence? Will it last for all eternity? Simon Peter's influence was taking these guys back to what was familiar Back to what they felt like, we can do this. At least we can go back to providing for our families by fishing. We're pretty good at that. And they went back that night, and Jesus found them in their failure. They failed. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, they had been there before. And Jesus met them in their need before. They were feeling down. They were discouraged. They thought, you know what? If I could just get my mind off of everything going around, if I can just go fishing, catch some fish, then I can just have some joy of catching fish and be reminded of what it is to, to have purpose and a sense of direction in life. And they failed. They caught zero on their own. This, my friend, is ministry apart from Jesus. Nothing lasts. Nothing is eternally substantial. They tried it on their own, and they failed. Now listen, I've had, I've had failing expeditions before, and I want to show you from 10 years ago. We were at Lake Ann, 
And uh, Sophie wasn't a camper yet, so I had some, I'm, I'm going to be the father, and I'm going to give her some instruction on fishing. So I took her fishing, and I want you to see what happened on that fishing expedition from the dock. Come on, Sophie, lift him on up. Oh, I want to. Come on now. Uh, lift him up yeah. on the dock. Oh, uh, he's too heavy. Too heavy? Yeah, what are you, a fisherman? <laughs> Come on, get, get him up on the dock. On that fishing expedition, uh, Sophie, she caught this amazing fish out, out of the lake. The next picture is the fish that I caught, and I should have never taught her about bragging. And if you look closely, the worm that I used is about the same size as the fish I caught. And so uh, she, still, she still rubs this in my face and reminds me of this fishing expedition and of my failure. But I'm taking some confidence in this, that the fish that I caught right there that you see, that was more fish than the fishermen caught that night on their expedition on the Sea of Galilee. And my profession is not fishing for fish. My profession, my calling in life is fishing for men. And so as those fishermen were out that night, they didn't catch anything, they failed, and Jesus found them. He wasn't done with them. And although they had nothing to show for a whole night, that took us a little while to catch a couple fish, they were out there all night. They had nothing, but Jesus found them. He wouldn't leave them alone. These men are now at the lowest point in their lives. And they're saying, where do we go from here? This is where the tempter, this is where the accuser of the brethren always gets us. And he begins to attack. And he begins to whisper softly in our ears as these guys are in a season of doubt and frustration and failure. They can't even do what they used to be good at. And, and they're so tempted. Let's just, let's just go back like this. Following Jesus never happened. And the tempter comes and he begins to say things to us like God has let you down and you left everything to follow him for this? Can you really trust the Lord, the enemy says? Why don't you just walk away? Throw in the towel. You deserve better than this. You've been done wrong. God, this is what the temptation was in Genesis 3. God's holding out on you. If God is really good, Satan will tempt us, then if he loves you, then how can he let you suffer? How can he let this tragedy happen to you? All of these things would have been flooding the minds of the disciples as they were out there, let down, couldn't catch any fish, and they were alone. All of the temptation that comes into the quiet places of our hearts that tempts us to turn our back on the only one who has ever loved loved us entirely, completely, holy. It's Jesus. And the tempter attacks. 
Jesus is the only relationship, my friend, that we can totally trust and never lose because he went to the cross for you and for me and he was separated from his father. He reached out his hand and got air so that you and I can reach out to the father and always, always be grasped by God if we'll but turn from our sin and trust in Christ alone. He is there because Jesus was forsaken. Here they are. They're feeling like failures. What is Jesus gonna do? Jesus shows up. It's about dawn. And Jesus is there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is gonna say something to them. Jesus is gonna speak to them. But what is he gonna say? How would you speak to someone that deserted you? How would you speak to the group that you invested into and they deserted you? And maybe you can think of people who have walked away from a relationship with you. Then we have to go to Jesus for this recipe for restoration. What does Jesus speak to them? Jesus spoke words of peace to the discouraged. He spoke words of peace. Look there in John 21, starting with verse 4, just as day was breaking. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When Jesus finds his men, he spoke to them, but he spoke to them words of peace. Jesus communicated, he communicated concern for his children. It's dawn, he's standing on the shore, he's about a hundred yards away, there's probably a mist, there's a morning fog, they can't exactly see who's on the shore. And if I was to paraphrase what Jesus was saying, he's saying this, lads, how's your fishing expedition going? How many fish have you caught? All right, that's the question. And when you, maybe you've asked that of somebody fishing in one boat or on a shore. You know, you walk up on a dock and like, how's it going? How many have you caught? They don't want to say nothing. But it, normally if you ask me, that's what I say, nothing. I'm drowning worms or something else. That's usually what happens. How would you speak to the disciples that deserted you? Jesus is there, he's on the shore, he knows what they're doing, he knows what they're trying to do, and he says, hey, how's your fishing trip going? And they have to answer back in such a way that's an insult, you know, nobody wants to say it, nothing, we haven't caught anything, zero, zilch, zip, a wasted night. This is what Proverbs 15.1 says that Jesus embodies perfectly. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh, a harsh word stirs up anger. Jesus doesn't shout out to them, hey, idiots, 
hey, losers, I already know you have nothing in your boat, you failures. Did you forget that I called? He doesn't do that to them. A soft answer turns away wrath. Away wrath, And so you see the concern that he has for his children, his, his men, his guys. But we also see his command over nature. You have to be God to do this. So he gives the command. He says, hey, put your net down on the right side of the boat. You'll find some there. Now, the disciples are probably thinking, what is this land lover? Why is he going to tell us something? But they've been here before. And so they obey. They do exactly what Jesus says to do. Now, maybe you've seen certain TV preachers. I'm not even going to name their name. But they've pronounced judgment on the coronavirus. And they have breathed the, the breath of God, the hot breath of God on the virus. And they haven't touched it one bit. Uh, this one that I'm thinking of happens to be worth $300 million, and people keep sending their money, their hard-earned money to this individual, and he's a liar. He's not to be trusted. He's a fake. He's a fraud. Jesus says, put your net down. You're going to find fish. Whatever God says, he does. He always comes through. Back in Deuteronomy, the this, this significance of the, the word of God is, is seen in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 22. That Moses, uh, speaking for God to the people, takes seriously the word of God. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Don't listen to that guy. People come telling us what day Jesus is going to return. They come telling us so seeds of faith and this will happen or that will happen or whatever it might be, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Oh, listen, Jesus promises a good return for the disciples he says, you will find some, and they did. And John recorded the number, exactly how many the Lord provided. It says it right there. When they, when they pulled this, this net, and they brought it, and they finally get it to the shore, they counted them out. They found out exactly how many there were there. See, John was the first one to figure out, it's the Lord. That's Jesus. And he, and he leans over. He's the disciple that, that Jesus loved. And he, he says, Peter. That's Jesus on the shore. And then Peter being the, the one that's just full of, uh, of life and vitality. And he just often acts really before thinking, but his love for Jesus, he gets up, he puts on his outer garment, 100 yards out from the shore. He just throws himself into the sea and says, I, I'm going to Jesus. That's the individual that I love. I know he loves me and I need to be where he is. And so he makes his way to Jesus. The other disciples, they're bringing the boat in. They're dragging the net, the fish are all tucked away in there, the, the nets held to get, holding, holding together so well. Now, when they get to the shore, what is Jesus going to say to these guys? These, this dysfunctional team, this, this doubting team, this discouraged group of followers, he has very few words. Very few words for these guys. So each of his words are significant. They're important. And we see that Jesus served his disciples 
with humble kindness. We see this in verses 9 through 14. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see the kindness of the Lord? Do you see his mercy on display here? Jesus displayed his providence by supplying for them. Did you catch that? Jesus already had fish. He already had the fire going. There's coals. He's been there a while. There's fish. There's bread. It's all ready for him, we see in verse 9. Listen, God doesn't need our help. The gospel is not, and listen to me carefully, the gospel is not God helps those who help themselves. That is not the gospel. God saves, rescues, and redeems every sinner that turns from their sin and trusts in him alone. God saves that person. There is no shared glory in my salvation. It's not 90% God, 10% me. It's not 99% God, 1% me. It is 100%. I was on the road to hell. I deserved to be punished for my sin. And God 100% opened my eyes and changed my heart. And he made me realize how desperately wicked I was, even as a child. And how good Jesus is, and he saved me 100%, and he will keep me 100% for all of the rest of time and eternity. That is the gospel. Jesus already had the fish. He already had the fire. He had bread. And here come the disciples. God is provident. He provided. Jesus provided for their needs. And we also see that Jesus entered into partnership with them that he is sharing with them, and he invites them to share with him. That's what it is to give to the Lord. He doesn't need your money. He's inviting you into the blessing of God, into participating with the work of God here locally and around the world, that he is desiring to use you. He wants to use me, but he's not dependent on me. He is God, and I'm not, and neither are you. And we can trust him. So Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish you just caught. Do you catch that? He didn't slam in their face. He didn't add an insult, bring some of the fish that I just gave you. He could have said that. But instead, he's encouraging to them. He's merciful to them. He's loving to them. Hey, go ahead and bring some of the fish that you caught. Do you hear the kindness of the Savior in this? Simon Peter is like his ears perked up. He's like your loyal dog. What? You want something? And he says, I got this. 
They drug the net to shore. This thing could have been 300, 400, 500 pounds under the water. And Peter goes to the boat. He unhooks the net from the boat. And he brings with unbelievable strength. He brings this net full of 153 fish to the shore. What is he doing? Why is he doing this? He is demonstrating in the way that he knows how. Jesus, I'm hearing what you are saying, and I want to obey you. I want to please you. I love you. And he grabs this this whole net filled with fish, and he brings it unbroken, and he brings it up. Oh, Jesus provided for them. Jesus enters into partnership, sharing with them, inviting them to be involved and share with him, share with one another. And you see in this that it's almost like Jesus uh, gave the recipe for Chick-fil-A, his pleasure in serving them. If you've ever eaten at a Chick-fil-A, that's what they say. If you meet somebody that works in another restaurant and they say, my pleasure. You say, thank you for that. And they say, my pleasure. This is Jesus serving his men. He delights in them. He loves them. He serves them. The master is once again serving his men. And he says, come on, let's have breakfast together. Now, there's something about Jesus' resurrected body that's unique. It's different. And the disciples, in each of the instances where we see Mary didn't quite recognize Jesus, thought he was the gardener, the two in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, and their eyes were blinded. They couldn't quite see that it was Jesus until he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then they remembered, this is Jesus. Their eyes were opened. And, and we see that here that there's something distinct about Jesus' resurrected body. But when he's serving the men and he's handing them bread and he's handing them fish, and if he blessed it, broke it, gave thanks and handed, they knew this is Jesus. Nobody does serving like Jesus does. This is Jesus. He is the kindest individual that they ever knew and that they would become like. He gave them the bread. He gave the fish to them. And in their minds, they would have gone right back to we need to feed 5,000 men and the children. And do you have anything? See what you have. Jesus, they brought him, here's a little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fishes. Have people sit down. And Jesus began to distribute the bread. And he began to distribute the fish. And he kept giving and kept giving and kept giving. And they served that entire crowd. And then in another occasion, in Matthew 15, Jesus fed the 4,000. And they had the, the seven loaves and a few small fish. And he did the same thing. And there they are. They're on the seashore again. And Jesus is feeding those men. And he's given to them. He's teaching them. Everything good in life comes from God. And Jesus, my friend, is God, and he's feeding, and he's caring for his men. He's showing them love, and he's showing them mercy. And then he just eats quietly with them. It's just quiet. They're just thinking about all the things that are going through their mind. And Jesus isn't immediately into a sermon to them and, and scolding them. And, and, and he just, let's eat. Let's enjoy this meal together. Let's enjoy the friendship and the fellowship that we have. And it just sounds so much like what Paul would describe in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says this about love in verse 4. Love, and, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to put Jesus' name here. That Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind 
And Jesus does not envy or boast. And Jesus is not arrogant or rude. And Jesus does not insist in his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. And Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And Jesus is the one who bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. He never fails, my friend. And this is what the disciples were sitting there realizing that Jesus Christ loves us. He cares about us. He's not just putting up with us. How will the disciples respond to this? How will they respond to this love and this mercy? And can I ask you the question, how do you and I respond when someone brings to us a word of exhortation or encouragement or reaches out to us and finds us when we're down and when we're doubting and when we're disbelieving or discouraged? How do you respond to that person? Who is it that God may be bringing to your mind that they are in a position like that? And how might God use you to reach out to them, to search for them and find them, to speak words of peace to them, words that make for peace, which include calling someone to repentance, to honor and glorify the Lord and, and restoration and fellowship. And how then might we serve one another? That's the pattern. That's the recipe of the master. This is how relationships that are broken can be restored as we look for those individuals, we find them, we speak words of peace to them. This, this comes from scripture and we serve. We serve like Jesus did in kindness. This is the divine pattern for us. So can I ask you the question this morning? Based on the master's recipe for restoration, what's your next step? Maybe there needs to be peace made with you and God through repentance and trusting in the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's there's a relationship that is broken and, and this this word needs to really settle in your heart and meditate in your heart of how are you either running from relationships or are you running to relationships? Are you running away and just leaving relationships broken and in shambles behind you? Or are you pursuing those relationships in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? You might be the person that God is seeking today. And you've joined in, and you're watching, and you need to know God has been seeking you. If you'll turn from your sin and trust, receive the gift of salvation, which is Christ Jesus. Trust him today. Maybe, like I said, God's bringing someone to your mind that you need to reach out to, that you need to seek that the relationship might be restored. Oh, that we would be faithful to do what God is calling us to do today. Don't wait until tomorrow, today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. He is our Lord, our master, our savior, and he is good and faithful and true and just, and we can trust in you at all times. 
Father, I pray that you will soften our hearts, that you will meet us in our need where we are at, and that we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, I pray that you will use us to be your hands and feet to minister grace to all who are around us. Thank you that you are still today seeking and saving the lost. Use us for your honor and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.